<clears throat> Last time I preached in uh, here was on Wednesday, a couple weeks ago, or whatever it was, and we talked about in Deuteronomy about remembering, remembering God's goodness and the mighty acts that He's displayed in our lives. Today, <coughs> one of my favorite miracles of Jesus we're going to talk about. So Matthew chapter 14, verse number 13. <coughs> Excuse me. I am losing my voice. I was going to blame it on smoking the meat last night, but I was only out there 30 minutes. So, <coughs> But I, I'll tell you this. I got home, and I had to wash my clothes. Only 30 minutes. So... So Matthew chapter 14, verse number 13, look at this with me, verse number 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place. And the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled And they took up of the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, beside women and children. Today, I don't think I'm going to share anything new with you, but I I think this this portion of Scripture serves as such a good reminder on so many different angles, on so so many different times in my life. I'd I'd love just to, to share one of them with you. I'd love to pray with you and then ask the Lord for help, and then we'll get into it. Father, we're grateful. For your word, thankful for the day, thankful for what it represents for Berean Baptist Church and their anniversary. And Lord, we ask that you bless this time and speak to us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so my freshman year in college, I went to Heartland in Oklahoma City. I worked at a hotel and I parked cars. Has anybody ever been a valet before? No. This is good. Okay. So if you've has anybody ever valeted your car? Okay. After this story, you'll always put it in valet mode if you have that button, okay? And so I was a valet. I was 19 years old. And so when someone handed me keys to a car, it was fun. So, and you got paid for it. And so uh, we worked at a hotel, me and a few of my buddies. And, and this story is about me and a buddy named Trey. Trey's about six foot four, six foot five, and the way that I describe him so everybody understands what he looks like, because you need the picture, he's got like a tater tot haircut. It's real curly, you know, and it's just, yeah, tater tot. Okay, so his name's Trey. Me and Trey were uh, parking cars, running around like crazy, trying to make money for paying school bills and whatnot, but we were going to move our cars closer to the hotel so we could kind of book it back to campus after we got off. Trey and I were walking back from parking mine to park his. And I looked at Trey, I was like, Trey, let's go fishtailing. It was dark, it was rainy, probably 10, 30 at night or so. He's like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. I was like, sweet, let me drive. He said, no. I was like, come on, Trey, let me drive. Now, here's why I wanted to drive. He drove an 86 Caprice. It's a sweet car. It was, it was uh, multiple toned colors because of all the sun it had received. 
The inside was cloth, and you didn't know what color that was supposed to be because of all the sun. So it was an 86 Caprice. I'm telling you, honestly, I think that probably from speaker to speaker, that Caprice would sit. It was a boat, okay? And we thought it was the coolest car in college. It was like the worst car, but we thought it was the coolest. And so it was an 86 Caprice. I wanted to drive it so bad. It had, it had the bench seats in the front and the back. I mean, we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And so I wanted to drive it. I was like, Trey, let me drive your car. He's like, no, 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 no. So we're walking back. It's about a quarter mile to his car. Finally get there. I'm standing on the passenger side, and I look over the car to him. I'm like, Trey, let me drive. And he goes, oh, fine. He throws the keys over to me. I catch him, and I get on the passenger side because he has a bench seat. I slid all the way over, and Trey got in, and we exited out of the backside of the parking lot. You take a left out of the parking lot, and it's Bricktown in Oklahoma City. So Bricktown's here, and then on the other side, there's a big parking garage for the stadium and just a bunch of things. And so I was under one of the brick archways, and the light was red, and I looked at Trey, and this should have been his first warning. I said, okay, hit the gas hard and turn hard. He's like, yeah, sweet. So the light turns green. It's a boat. So I got the steering wheel. You know what I'm talking about. We get about halfway through the intersection. I hit the gas into the floor. I mean, I floorboard it. I turn this wheel as far left as I can, <laughs> and the back starts to slide. So we succeed. We were pumped. And we were having a good time. And the rest of the story is about 10 seconds, but I'm going to tell you in slow-mo, okay? <laughs> so we slid this way, and I look. I was looking the whole time, but I look up, and my eyes probably get as big as saucers because I see the big concrete median separating the sides of the road, and so we're going straight towards the concrete medium. The road is running this way, so I take it, and I turn the wheel as hard as I can to the right, and at the same time, I slammed on the brakes. That's a mistake. Teenagers don't do anything I'm telling you, and so I slammed on the brakes, and the car recovered, and we slid back towards the left, and so now we're, we're facing almost the right direction, but I let off the brake, and I couldn't get the wheel turned fast enough and the car caught traction and all of a sudden we hit the curb now it goes into super slow-mo here and we didn't have our seat belts on because we're knuckleheads and we went airborne in the car and the car is airborne and the car hits the parking garage that was across the street from where we were parking I see Trey when we hit he comes and slams into the windshield this is my 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 the top of my legs right here were so bruised from the steering wheel it wasn't even funny so I had bruises right here my head was gashed open by the visor that you have right and then Trey's was gashed because he cracked the windshield with his forehead I look down at the floorboard we all are okay okay so it's okay to laugh now and so I look I look at the floor and his glasses that he was wearing are are flat they're they you know, glasses like this, they were like this on the ground. And we both slam into the seat and I look at Trey and he's bleeding. He looks at me, I'm bleeding. And I go, bro, are you okay? And Trey's like super chill. Like, I don't, I, my adrenaline was pumping. I mean, I was like, I was wigging out bad. And so I look at him, I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? I ask it about a thousand times. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Relax, relax, relax. And so, yeah, it was a terrible I ended up cracking the radiator, breaking the rear axle. One of the wheels completely broke off of the car. How does that happen? I don't know. And so a lot of things 
happened. And so that semester, Trey, every time he needed a ride, he'd say, Colin, you wrecked my car. I need a ride. And so I would, I would okay, I'll, I'll take you to wherever you're going. So one day was at Southwest was friend day, and we all had to be out of the dorms early, but they didn't start because they had a longer morning service, so it wasn't as early. So me and Trey and a bunch of our friends go to Whataburger for, and if you're ever in Texas, it's not Whataburger, it's Water Burger. okay, sorry. And so I just had to throw that out there for you. You'll probably never eat there because it looks terrible, but it's wonderful. So we went to Waterburger, got to the church, and as I'm pulling up into the parking spot, all the guys bail out of the car like really fast. I was still rolling. I'm not the only irresponsible one, but they are rolling out while I'm rolling. So I throw it into park and I hop out, and we all start to walk away from the car towards the church. And we all look back and we're like, Trey, come on. Well, Trey is standing at my car like this. And he's like waving his arms. And I'm like, Trey, what are you doing? So I get over there and he's silently screaming. Have you ever seen someone do that? It reminds me kind of like, 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 like the Grinch, you know? And he's like, ah, like that. That's exactly how Trey was doing it. And he, and he finally gets words out and he says, you're parked on my foot. And I was parked on his foot. And so I run around to the car. I start it. I throw it in reverse. I finally get off his foot. I let him get 10 feet away and I repark. So now when Trey needs a ride, he would always say this, Colin, I need a ride. I'd be like, no, bro, I don't have time or whatever. He'd say, look, you wrecked my car and you parked on my foot. And so, yeah, that was, that was our freshman year. Now I have a question for you. From those two stories, would you say I'm a careful or careless driver? <laughs> careless, right? It's okay. It's, it's cool. So, yeah, I'm I, careless, ridiculous, dangerous, whatever you want to say, right? I was not a good driver. But if you ask my wife, hey, Cal, am I a good driver? She said yes. So what's the difference? You've heard two stories. They're bad stories. I have other bad ones as well. But my wife thinks I'm a good driver. And that's because we've spent hours hours upon hours driving in the car together, thousands upon thousands of miles, and you have two stories, right? And here's, here's what I want to get is we all view things in our life through a scope, right? And we look at things through that scope, and the scope is built by our experience, our knowledge, the way that we were raised. Are, are you following me here? And so the things that we know and experience and are taught all form the way that we look at life in general. And so if we all look at life through our scope, everyone's scope is unique. There's no one that has the same one because no one has the same exact experiences. Even like the disciples in the, in the Gospels, they all had the same exact experiences but from different angles. And so they saw things that were very different but the same. And so if we all have a scope that we look through, can we say that maybe some of our scopes are wrong? My scope has been built in Texas. Can I tell you that's very different than a Washingtonian scope? But, I mean, I was feeling at home because y'all had a Texas-sized smoker out there. So, <laughs> amen. So, yeah, there you go. So, we, uh, so, my scope was built in Texas. My wife's was built in north of Seattle. Very, very different. I say, yes, sir, 
My, my wife will say yes, whoever's name. Which one's respectful? Which one's disrespectful? Well, in some places, and I've had ladies tell me, don't call me ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know what to say, right? Are you following me? And so, it's, it, it's so in my mind, it's like, oh, this is, this is weird. I don't know what, okay. I don't know what to say. I say y'all. Some people say you guys, or if you go even farther east, you guyses, right? <laughs> or if you go to Nebraska, usins, and so we won't get into that. But all of our scopes, right, are, are formed by our experience, our knowledge, and what we've been taught. Right, wrong, or indifferent, we all have a scope. And so we view people, we view experiences, marriage, parenting, money, we, we view church, church life, what type of church member you should be. We view it all very, very differently. Am I right? Here in our, in our text today, I think Jesus gives us the biblical scope on how to look at people. At people. Now that's interesting because we can see people and you can have, you can have certain thoughts cross your mind automatically by just the split second decision you make on well, what do they look like, right? If they're holding the cardboard sign, I have thoughts, and you may as well. But if they pull up in a, in a sweet Rolls Royce, I have other thoughts, and you do as well. But we all should look through the biblical scope, and I want, I want to go over this because we can look at things and people and never examine our scope, but I think the Bible challenges us to challenge our viewpoint regularly. Look at verse number 13. So when Jesus heard of it, what did he hear of? Herod was, was observing Jesus' ministry, and he assumed that Jesus was John the Baptist, risen from the dead. You can get that from the beginning of the chapter. And whenever Jesus heard that he thought John the Baptist, that he was John the Baptist, that Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Did you catch that? You got a lot of meat in your stomachs. <laughs> so Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Jesus departed and he left because he, he didn't want whatever kind of collateral damage may follow that. He left to get out of kind of the jurisdiction of Herod. And he was departing to a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. So Jesus is making his way to a mountain and hordes and hordes of people are coming after Jesus. And he's just trying to separate himself. And his disciples came, or I'm sorry, and, and Jesus went forth. It's like he stepped out of wherever he was and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. Now imagine this with me. The emotions of, of a close friend, John the Baptist, are now being re-stirred up because John the Baptist had died. Jesus loved John the Baptist. They were close. They grew up together, I'm assuming, from what we can understand from the word of God. And so they, they would have been close. And he was the forerunner of Christ. And so John the Baptist dies, that could be emotional for the man Jesus. And so Jesus continues to minister, and even though these emotions are being re-stirred from Herod accusing him of being Jesus, he's still ministering and healing, but at this point he's departing. And why did he usually depart to a mountain? He was exhausted. It's interesting that our Savior, who's 100% God, also was 100% man, needed rest. It baffles me, but I'm also thankful he took naps, because that means they're biblical, most of you are waiting on yours or already taking it. Just kidding, just kidding. So, so Jesus was tired emotionally, physically. He had been healing people. Are you following the picture here? And then I, I imagine 
thousands of people begin to follow him where he's trying to find rest. But Jesus, he's, he's there and it says he steps out and he sees the multitude. And the Bible says he has compassion on them. This, this would have been feelings that, that were in the deepest parts of him. It would have been the, the perfect mix of love and sorrow. And Jesus is having these feelings within and he has a decision to make. Am I going to step back and get my rest or am I going to minister? And look what he does. Verse number 14, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, so now quite a bit of time has passed. It's now evening. His disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place. And the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. Now this is, this I don't think is a bad solution for the disciples to come up, come up with. The disciples had no, had no ability within themselves. They were thinking of the multitude and they said, okay, if the multitude is going to be safe and if they're going to get food, they've got to be sent away right now. We let, we, we, let, we let Jesus minister as long as possible, but now we need to remind him that they need to go and take care of themselves. And so this passage, I believe, puts the compassion of Christ and the compassion of his disciples on display. And I'm saying this because the disciples' compassion reached to a certain point. They thought of the multitude. They took consideration of the multitude. They looked at the multitude and they said, Okay, now is the time that they need to go so they can be safe, so they can be fed, so they can have a place to stay. And then they can come back tomorrow or whatever Jesus wants to do. But their, their compassion reached to a certain level. But then Jesus challenges their compassion. He challenges their scope, the way that they're looking at these people. Look at it in the next verse. But Jesus said unto them, and I love how Jesus answers his disciples because I can relate, can't you? They need not depart. In my mind, I'm like... What are we going to do about it, right? And he says, give ye them to eat. And the disciples said unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. Now, remember Thomas, what are these among so many, right? And they go and find these loaves and they find these fishes. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus had the, the, um, the multitude sit down on the grass he blesses the food, and he begins to tear the bread and tear the fish, and he gives it to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And then the disciples come back to Christ, and, they, and he tears the bread, and he hands it to them and hands the fish to the disciples. And they do this until all 5,000 men, women, and children are fed. Isn't that incredible? And then there's leftovers. I'm glad there's leftovers today. I'm excited about it. After this, I'm thinking, I got to stop. So, so Jesus, he tears this bread and he tears this fish. And, and, and I just think, and, and, I, and I don't want to over-spiritualize it. I don't want to make it a picture of something that it's not. But I, I do want to say this, that I think it's a really good, I really do think it's a good picture of his disciples coming to Jesus and saying, look, we have nothing, nothing to offer them. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? We've got this. And Jesus says, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me and see what happens. And on the note of compassion, do you ever lack compassion? Because I sure do. I mean, on a regular basis, especially driving on 405 or I-5 in the state of Washington. 
Traffic has come up a lot in my sermons lately, but we have driven the south and north route of this state on the west side a whole lot. And there is traffic everywhere all the time for no reason. <laughs> and so, so sometimes my compassion, it wears out. It, it runs out fast, right? But there's times where it's not just driving, but when I'm a dad and I'm trying to, to get some things done over here in the house and my kids, Bo walks up to me and goes, Daddy, play with me? I'm like, how do you, you not play with this kid, right? But my compassion runs out at some point when he cl- tries to claw my eye out about 10 times. You, are you, are you, and, and so, and those are silly, but, but think about this. What about the guy at work that vehemently stands against everything you stand for? Or the family member you hope that doesn't show up? to Thanksgiving or Christmas, right? I got an uncle. Or men where you hold your kids a little closer when that guy shows up to whatever. And, they, and, and you go, and, and, and personally, I'm not used to seeing what I've seen here in the Northwest when I drive through Portland and I drive through Seattle and I see tents, and I see all the things that they show only on the news in Texas, but then you get to see the real thing, you know what I mean? And, and I have thoughts that cross my mind, and I have things, I mean, it's just crazy. When we were in London, I want to tell you a story really fast, and then I'm done. We went to one of the largest mosques in London. It holds three to 5,000 people in it, and we went, and um, when we got there, it took us about an hour and a half to get there, but when we got there, they had big construction walls up, so you couldn't see any of it. So we walked around the back, didn't see anything, and I thought, well, that's a bummer. And my wife's like, no way. She's a good missionary wife. She's like, no way. We're going to go talk to them. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know. And so she goes over to the security shack. There's an Arabic man inside of it. There's actually three Arabic men. And she starts to talk to them and says, hey, we'd like to go see the mosque. Can we get back there and see it? So one of them takes his radio, he calls in Arabic, answer comes back in Arabic, and they say, come with us, pictures only, no videos. Sure. So we go back, my heart's beating out of my chest like crazy. I'm talking, I mean, I don't sound British, I don't look British, apparently I don't even walk British. (laughs) And so we are the only Americans in sight. And also, it's near prayer time, and so there are Muslims gathering into this mosque ready to pray to Allah during that time. And so we're walking back there, we take our pictures, and we're talking to this guy a little bit, and we get out, and we start walking down the road, and we get on the train. I think this is when this happened, as we sat on the train, and the Lord just smote my heart, because he said, Colin, the gospel didn't cross your mind one time. One time. And that's convicting, and that's a bad missionary story, I know. But my scope was looking through my American scope. And I looked at him as a person that hates everything America stands for. I looked at him as a person that hates me and my family and my faith. And the gospel didn't cross my mind one time. And the Lord used that to convict me and it is still convicting to this day. I hate telling the story, but it's fitting because I looked at him not like a soul that's going to die one day and spend eternity somewhere. I looked at him as an enemy of the country I'm from and as someone that is unreachable. And can I tell you, there's people out there that stand against everything that we stand for. 
They hate the book that you hold. They wish it didn't exist. They think it's this. They think it's that. We could go on and on, right? But there's someone in your life that I, I, I truly believe in everyone's life that we look at and we can think there's no possible way. But can I remind you the compassion of Christ took him all the way to the cross. Amen. And he hung on the cross for you and I for all of our sins but also the man that we met at that mosque and the person that you think is unreachable. And here's the amazing thing. No one's unreachable because the price has already been paid. Isn't that amazing? And so when I began to think about this text and I began to look at my own scope, I can sit and watch the news and I can get mad. I can drive on 405 and I-5 and get mad. I can take all the way, I can go down to Olympia and through Portland and I can just be upset. But the Lord convicts me on a regular basis and says, Colin, it doesn't matter. Any of that, none of that matters. But their eternal state is what is at the forefront, is at the forefront of their need. And I say, Lord, I don't, I don't have anything to offer. I have nothing. My compassion has run out. And it's amazing go to the Lord, and we tell him that, and it's like he says, <clears throat> give me what you have. And he takes you what you have, and he just begins to break it. And it goes, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes farther and farther and farther than you ever could have thought. And then somehow or another, you look down, and you got leftovers. But we have to be willing to have that love and the sorrow of Christ for the lost. And I'm looking at this place. I'm looking at your church. Multicultural, multi-generation. I love it. Oh, it's, so, it's so refreshing. We walked in. It smells like barbecue, and there's a bunch of people everywhere. Loved it. Loved it. And so this isn't a, you need to fix this message, but this is, this is maybe this. Who's that one? Who's the one person? that you think, man, they're at work and they hate everything about me because <laughs> we got them, don't we? Can I tell you this? Christ-like compassion, it leads to action. And you say, Lord, I don't have anything. And if you say you have nothing, you may sit on your hands and do nothing. But if you go to him and say, God, I've got little to nothing to offer and you give it to him, it's amazing how he can just break it and give it to you over and over and over again. We're supposed to have compassion for the lost. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Here's the amazing thing, is he's called us to spread the good news of his son, but that takes a love for people that is unnatural to all of us. I struggle with it. There's t-shirts and hats in Texas that say, don't California my Texas. That's what they say, serious. But the teenagers that were in my youth department, I tried to tell them, hey, guess what? The lost world's coming to you. You better tell them. Right? It's hard. It's hard. But God's called us to do it. We're excited to go. And we're thankful we get to represent you, unless I said something really crazy. But God is so good that he gave someone to tell you. And when they told you, and whenever you called on his name to save you, He's now calling you to go into all the world, which includes Pierce County. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word.
so thankful for how you work and show yourself evident. Thank you for what today stands for, for Berean Baptist Church. And God, I ask that you just use this message, pray your Holy Spirit spoke. Lord, we love you. So thankful for your son and what he's done for us. I pray that you bless the remainder of our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand with our heads bowed, eyes closed.